Confessions from Pitch and Forge. Most people come because there's so much to do, but I come for the peace and quiet of the mountains. And the go-karts. Oh, and the bumper boats. Those are fun, too. The best part? That's tough. Mountain coasters were cool. The water slides were insane. But the pie at the old mill was epic. Confessions from Pigeon Forge. Visit MyPigeonForge.com to plan your trip today. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X One, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the X One Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Pro, uh, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeart Radio, and the X One TV channel on Simul TV. If you'd like to send me an email, very simple: X One at X One Radio TV on all social media sites, X One Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is uh, a good friend. He is also the host of a different perspective here on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Kevin Randall is his name. He is a retired lieutenant colonel who served in Vietnam as a helicopter pilot and in Iraq as a battalion intelligence officer. He began writing for UFO magazines and eventually moved on to books. A goal he uh, goal had been uh, to publish science fiction and to join the Science Fiction Writers of America. He has appeared on countless radio and television programs in the mid-90s, hosted his own show on KTSM Radio in El Paso, Texas. To prove that he hasn't been stuck in a rut, he has written about UFOs, science fiction, action adventure, and even a vampire novel called... Cleverly, I might add, a vampire. Someday he hopes to be on The Amazing Race. His blog can be found at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And, and Kevin, welcome to the X-Zone. Oh, thank you, Rob. I'd forgotten about The Amazing Race. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, pal, you wrote the bio. I just copied it off of uh, Amazon. <laughs> I know I recognize my words, but I'd forgotten about The Amazing Race thing. That's a... Uh... That's still a cool program. I wouldn't mind being on The Amazing Race. Yeah, I get tired just watching it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I say, my God, where do they get their energy from? Well, then the other thing is, how do they figure out some of those clues? Because they're really esoteric, you know? Yeah. So, well, I, I like, guess... like the, the, the one where they had to find the green star, and it turned out to be the Star Ferry in Hong Kong. I mean, they, I don't know how they figured that one out. They've got ferries in Hong Kong? Yes, they do. And they're green. Yes, and they go to Macau. (laughs) 
Listen, uh, you and I were chatting earlier today, and uh, a, a dear friend of ours has passed away, uh, Brad Steiger, who uh, you've had on your show. And in fact, we're playing your your interview with Brad Steiger later on tonight on the network. And the last time Brad was on the Exxon was going back to May 16, 2016. And uh, Brad passed away uh, recently at the age of 82. Tell us about your your experiences with Brad and your very close friendship. Well, the thing is, I, I remember sitting in a high school study hall, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, and I'll probably, met, probably mention it on the program, reading his book, Strangers in the Sky. And while it didn't uh, spark my interest in UFOs, it certainly, certainly um, brought it to the forefront and made me much more interested in the, in the subject. When I moved to Iowa and I was writing for UFO magazines, there was a whole bunch of them at the time, and I was doing a story about strange disappearances, and there was, Brad had written about this uh, <clears throat> fellow in Wales who had disappeared in 1909, and I knew uh, the secret to finding Brad Steiger at the time. I had friends um, who told me his name was really Eugene Olson at the time he was he was born as Eugene Olson. He changed his name legally to Brad Steiger later on, but I knew his name was Eugene Olson, and I knew he taught college in, at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. And so back in the days when you used directory assistance as opposed to the internet, yeah. I uh, called directory assistance and said, give me the number for Eugene Olson, and they did, and I called him up, uh, cold, out of the blue, very cordial, very happy to talk to me, share the information, and I was asking him about this case, and he said, oh, don't print that, that's a hoax. I found out that that's a hoax. And from that point on, we became pretty good friends where we would talk periodically, we would exchange information about UFO sightings. Uh, I know that uh, he had investigated in a lot of UFO sightings. He wrote under the name Eric Norman, which is a pen name he shared with Warren Smith. And I think uh, Brad invented the name and Warren Smith used it more often, which kind of annoyed Brad. But um, from that point on, you know, talking to Brad, he would, uh, he mentioned to me at one point that, he, you know, he didn't see himself really as an investigator per se. And he would believe what people told him until he found out that they weren't telling the truth. And I thought, well, that's a wonderful way to go through life, you know, just, Believing what people told you, um, not naively believing everything, but 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 uh, you know, looking at these tales that we get in the paranormal world as being authentic and true. Until he learned something about the person that suggested that maybe he's not telling the truth. Myself as an investigator, I always looked at it a little bit more hardcore, which was you know I've got to verify everything. I've, I've got to question people, which is why I ended up today talking to a guy named. Uh, Yanisak, who was involved in the coin helicopter case, I wanted to verify some information. But Brad, uh, Brad would do what he could to get the information. He would gather it. He would talk to the people. He was good friends with Al Balik, for example. You know, the guy who claims that he was uh, teleported and time travels and all this yeah. stuff. And, and be at his home. Uh, I mean, Balik would be at his Brad's store home with Brad and Sherry and all of that sort of thing. And he finally learned that uh, Balik was kind of making everything up, and he was very disappointed in him in that way. So, uh, you know, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, you know, Brad is Brad is looking at the things, and he wants to believe people. He wants to these stories to be true, but he also has a little bit of a skeptical bend to him, keeping his eye open. So he was always sharing information with me like that, and I, I you know, I always appreciated that. He was always a very good. When I had my radio show on KTSM, I always could count on him as coming on the program if I needed a guest right away, if somebody had canceled or something like that, or he'd help me find a guest. Right. 
And I remembered calling him. I was down in El Paso, and I called him one Saturday afternoon. We would we were on at eight to ten on Saturday nights on KTSM mm-hmm. live and in color. Wow. Um, and I called him, uh, you know, in the afternoon on Saturday. I says, Brad, I'm in, I'm, I'm I'm in trouble here. And he said, Well, why don't you try so and so and so and so? And I couldn't get them. And he said, Well, I'll do it. I'll I'll take care of it. So we had him on the program, and he was always a wonderful guest, as you well know. Yeah. He was a wonderful guest. Uh, very knowledgeable, very articulate, knew how to keep the audience interested in what you were talking about. In, in fact, I think the last time you had him on your show was when you did a, a, a Halloween spooktacular. We were we had um, talked about that, and I think the uh, first Halloween we missed because Brad was ill. Right. He had to back out, and I was able. I, that was not a big deal. He didn't leave me hanging. We got we got somebody in plenty of time, but I knew. From what he'd said to me after they moved back here to Iowa, that he had been in ill health, and he asked me not to say anything. And so I was very careful on approaching him to be on the program because they didn't want to pressure him anything like that because of his health. But I, um, you know, I'd say, well, you know, it, we can do something, we can do this, uh, whatever you like. And so we decided we'd try to do a Halloween spooktacular and talk about the paranormal and ghosts and things like that that was of interest to him. Um, and I, I know that. We normally do the the things over Skype. I don't think I'm letting a cat out of the bag oh, there. No, of course not. But he couldn't get his Skype to work, and he said he told me he'd even spent fifty dollars to get the Geek Squad out to his computer to try to get the Skype to work, and couldn't do it. I mean, so that kind of gives you the idea: was he's under no obligation to, yeah. to be on the show. He doesn't have to spend fifty bucks to get Skype working for crying out loud. But that was the kind of guy he was. He'd you know go the extra mile to help you out if he if he thought he could. What do you think his favorite topic was? I always thought, in my mind, because of my orientation, mm-hmm. it was UFOs. But I think it was probably more uh, religiously oriented. I think it was more like angels and that sort of thing that was his real passion. But he had a passion for the whole paranormal field. But I think that was where his his true passion was. Um, but he did an awful lot of UFO books. And I've, and I've said this before. I was at a... Um, conference uh, move on conference in denver and somebody came up to me and says you know you've written more ufo books than anybody and i said no i can't be right it's got to be brad steiger and uh, brad and i talked about that and he said no i think it's you and i said no i think it's you and we kind of laughed about yeah. that and, and now we got nick redford and trying to take the title away from us so we we gotta now i'm i'm alone i've got to keep uh, nick from getting the title and i'm afraid i'm not going to be able to do it so well you've <laughs> always got to watch out for the young guy coming up behind yeah. fast <laughs> <laughs> the young hungry uh, Brit who's uh, taking over for us there, uh, but like I said, I think his passion was probably had to do more with the with the area of angels and right. ghosts and that sort of thing. I, I had Peter Robbins on the show last week, and uh, we were talking about his book and and the public apology that he still is sending out to people when it comes to the Randlesham Forest uh, book. And uh, he said the next time I was talking to you to please give him your very best or you his very best, I should say. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I, um, I, you know, I, I, Peter, I think, has done a wonderful job of, yeah. of trying to keep things organized. And I think he was duped by Larry Warren, who uh, uh, led him down the path. And, and he finally realized that. And I, that's a terrible thing to have happen to a writer. And I know how that works. I had a similar situation with um, Frank Kaufman in the Roswell case. Well, we'll have to talk about that on the other side of this break, my friend. Exonation, okay. the one and only Kevin Randall is our special guest this hour, the host of 
a different perspective on the Exxon Broadcast Network. You can listen to uh, Kevin's past shows at xzbn.net. And we'll both be back on the other side as we continue from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games, no need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Kevin Randall is my special guest this hour, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. 
Uh, Kevin, you, you were talking about the Koyan helicopter event. Can you share the information with our listeners so we can bring them up to date on it? Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, what I was, uh, the, um, Larry Coyne was a, a helicopter pilot, and he and his crew were flying uh, across to Ohio towards um, their home home base, and uh, saw bright light coming at them, or one of the crewmen saw it, and he passed down the left side of the aircraft, and they thought nothing of it, and uh, it seemed to have looped around the aircraft, and then the crewmen on the other side uh, saw it, and told uh, told coin that it's looks like he's we got something pacing the aircraft and then said well maybe it's coming toward us and that's light came toward them rapidly came to a hover above their aircraft uh, uh, sort of a cylindrically shaped thing with a red light on one end and a white light on the other end hovered there for a while and then took off and in the meantime coin believing they're about to be in a collision pushed the collective down that's one of the controls in a helicopter that uh, controls the altitude uh, to the full stop and uh, didn't seem to be descending fast enough. And uh, after the object disappeared, they discovered they had gained uh, some 2,000 feet in altitude with the collective completely down, which is kind of a mystery how that happened. Uh, object in sight, three or four minutes, all the crewmen saw it. They had a power, I was going to say power outage, but really a radio failure. Uh, couldn't contact uh, Mansfield uh, Airfield. In, in Ohio on the radio, although they just talked to them. And so it's a, it, quite a mystery. I think it won the um, the uh, National Enquirer Award. Uh, National Enquirer used to give out $5,000 for the best UFO sighting of the year. And I think they won the award uh, one year for that because of uh, the nature of the sighting and the number of people who were involved. Uh, it turns out there were people on the ground who witnessed this whole thing. And uh, talking to a fellow named Tom uh, Workman the other day, I learned he just discovered maybe a dozen more witnesses on the ground that kind of corroborates what Coyne had reported from the from the helicopter. So we've got the crewmen of the helicopter. We've got people on the ground seeing the thing. No real explanation for it. Uh, Philip Class tried to tell him they'd seen a bright meteor, but you know uh, that really didn't work. And ha you had to ignore some of the um, uh, descriptions made by by the crew. It also occurred to me that. Uh, of all the people who've invested the case, I might be the only former army aviator that's ever talked to these people about it. Cause I would, I could pick up some things about the uh, operational helicopter that others might not have understood uh, not being helicopter pilots, uh, that sort of thing. But that's kind of it in a nutshell, very mysterious case thing and uh, thing in sight for um, around five minutes. Uh, Coin tried to uh, talk to Mansfield to see if there's any other aircraft in the area at the time that could have accounted for this. And they said, no, we had nothing going on there. Um, and that's kind of where it stood until recently. And some guy said, well, we've, we've solved it. It is a uh, uh, refueling operation that uh, they, they picked the wrong helicopter. And he says, he says he's, he solved it to beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I'm saying, well, do you have any documentation for this refueling aircraft in the area? And he said, well, no. And I thought, well, well we got a shadow of a doubt there, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't um, – you know, I look at these UFO cases and talk about them, and I, I try to look at it from the point of view, what can we find out about? What can we understand about these sorts of things? Not wanting to prove that it's an alien spacecraft, um, not wanting to disprove that, or prove that the uh, witnesses are somehow mistaken. Just let's find out what the facts are and see where we can go. And I think the coin case, like the Socorro UFO landing with Lonnie Zamora, case mm -hmm. you know this is the very definition of an unidentified we don't know what it was doesn't mean it's an alien spacecraft it means we can't identify it in terrestrial terms 
So, Kevin, based on the uh, the information that that you are privy to through the uh, through the members of your blog, are do you think that UFO uh, sightings are on an increase, or are they on a decrease, or are they just staying the same? I have been of the opinion that the uh, UFO sightings are on the decrease. The robust sightings, the really good sightings like we used to get. Still lights in the sky, still people misidentifying stuff. I think uh, Peter Davenport, who runs the um, reporting center, I think he's talking about the sightings beyond the increase. And I think uh, MUFON's talking about that as well. But I'm not sure they're really good sightings, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I I was standing outside one night. I went outside to look because they said, well, this – Space station is going to be flying over in this trajectory. And I went outside to look at it so I could say, yeah, I saw the space station. I just got in the house and somebody called me and says, I just saw a UFO. And I said, yeah, was it a point of light moving across the sky from the south to the north? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, yeah, it's the space shuttle, pal. Um, but um, so, you know, you get those sorts of sightings, but we don't get the really robust sightings that we used to get with, used to get with the uh, interaction with the environment or the, the landing traces, uh, good photographic cases, which are impossible in today's world, given the fact that everybody's got a cell phone with a camera on it. And every 10-year-old kid with a computer mm-hmm. can generate a very credible-looking uh, UFO video. Right. And many of, many of them have. Um, so, you know, you, you look at all of that stuff, but I... I've always been of the opinion that after like 1973, when, when the coin helicopter case took place, there was a period of about six weeks from the end of September to the beginning of November of 1973, where there were lots of very good UFO sightings. The craft were seen on the ground. The, the occupants were seen. You've got things like the coin case coming in, uh, the Pascagoula abduction case, for example. Uh, you know, I'm not really thrilled with abduction cases, but, but that was all in that time frame. Uh, but we don't really seem to, to get that anymore. And I don't know whether it's people don't know where to report things. Uh, you, uh, I don't know if people are better at identifying the things in the sky that they see um, or, or what it is. But it just, we just don't seem to be getting the really kind of robust cases that we used to get. Any any news on the uh, on the Roswell case or is that – I haven't heard anything about that except when uh, Peter Robbins was on the uh... – was on the show, you know, talking about Roswell days. But. The, the, the problem with the Roswell case, you know, and, and as you know, I did that book, Roswell in the 21st Century, uh, about a year ago, a mm-hmm. year and a half ago. And I tried to look at the case very dispassionately, not as an advocate, not as a skeptic, but but someone who is interested in seeing where the the truth took us. And the problem is when you when you boil it down, we have limited documentation from the government uh, there's an FBI telex, for example. We have newspaper clippings, which is a form of documentation. Frank Joyce, who was a reporter in Roswell, had saved some teletype messages that um, suggest some interesting things going on in Roswell at the time. But when you get down to it, what you have basically is witness testimony. And um, that, as we all know, is now becoming more and more suspect, not just for Roswell, but for any 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 forum that you need eyewitness testimony, that it's awfully very un- unreliable. And looking at um, some of the witnesses that we used to um, champion, Glenn Dennis, the Roswell mortician, probably made up his involvement in the case. Uh, Frank Kaufman, who I mentioned earlier, we can get to Frank Kaufman now, who Walter Hott, the uh, 
uh, public affairs officer at the base at the time uh, turned us on to and said, you know, you need to talk to this guy, Frank Kaufman. And it turns out Kaufman's making up his story. And, and I was, you know, kind of related to Brad Steiger. I was kind of in the Brad Steiger mode, believing this guy. He seemed very credible. And every time we'd question something, he'd come up with a document to help us out. And it turned out he was forging the documents. He had a stack of paper from World War II. Um, and he could, and he had an old typewriter. He could, he could just type anything he wanted. And it's here's you know, this document that came out in 1947. And the, the paper, you know, was from 1947 because it would have the little "buy war bond" symbol on it that was, oh yeah, just ubiquitous in, in the in, during the during the Second World War. And so we had this great stuff. And we finally found out after he passed away that he had all of this stuff and he was making the things up. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of damages the Roswell case. So where we are in the Roswell case today, I think, is we have some interesting tales told by some credible people. Edwin Easley, the provost marshal, seems to be very credible talking about what happened. Bill Brazel, the son of the man that found it, was very credible. Uh, and talking to him about what he had seen and what he'd done, the, the ranchers in the area. But then we get all the other people, as John Keel said at one point, uh, we were we were arguing over the balloon bomb uh, thing back in the 1990s, and he says, "I, I suppose by 2000 there'll be another, you know, 2,000 witnesses uh, coming forward." And, and he was pretty pretty much correct. Wow. You know, people coming out of the woodwork saying, "Yeah, I was there in, in 1947." It turns out they're making their stories up. In your opinion, what is the hottest UFO story of these days? <laughs> I would say Socorro because I just had that book published. <laughs> oh, tell us about that. Tell us about that book and where our listeners can get the book, Kevin. Well, it's called uh, Encounter in the Desert. It's about the Socorro UFO sighting. And it kind of kind of uh, uh, was generated by my radio program where I was talking to Ben Moss and Tony Angiola about their investigation into the Socorro case. And if and you remember, uh, they mentioned that there had been three people who had called the police station yep. about seeing the object in the sky. And I asked them two or three times during the program, did you check the police log? Did you check the police log? And I never got a satisfactory answer on that. And it kind of sparked my interest in, in that particular case. You know, Lonnie Zamora being the police officer, chasing a um, speeder, uh, saw the thing land, saw a couple of creatures near the thing. The thing took off um, in, a, in a loud roar. And so Ben and Tony told me that there were three witnesses who'd seen the thing in the sky that called the police station, and, and but they never answered my question. Well, going through the Project Blue Book files and the documentation, I found a report from Captain uh, Richard Holder, who had been a... a uh, an army officer who lived in, in Socorro, and he was involved in the sighting from the very beginning. And he wrote in his report that he, he put together that night that there had been three calls to the police station. So we were wow. able to verify the calls. Nobody bothered to get the names, so we couldn't find them. But uh, we had all of that sort of thing going on. All right, stand by, my friend. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. So Nation. Kevin Randall is our special guest. He is the host of A Different Perspective. You can listen to Kevin's uh, past shows at xzbn.net on iTunes. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about Kevin, visit his log site, kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I'm Rob McConnell. Kevin Randall and I return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxon.com. 
xzbn.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God, and finally, After the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Kevin Randall is our guest this hour, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Kevin, one of my most favorite shows that you did was when you did a bit of um, Roman work crucifying someone to a cross. Uh, when you were talking to, I was it, was it Schmidt or Carrie? about the so-called alien, uh, the alien skeleton, and that small alien that was really a mummified um, human? Well, I did a couple of programs. Uh, one with Don, I did a couple with Don Schmidt, and right. I asked him the tough questions mm-hmm. uh, to get answers and make sure that we understood it. And I did one with Adam Dew, who was the guy that found 
allegedly found the slide or had it given to right, him. And, right. And I do not understand why their immediate assumption was this slide was of an alien creature. I just never could understand that. Well, it was very but, simple. They, they thought they could make a lot of money on it and fool a lot of people. I think he had a plan to um, expose UFO researchers for being clowns and uh, uh, um, he was going to do a documentary on how all this thing fell apart. But I think what happened is uh, when it was exposed uh, as I, I always thought of it as alien autopsy light, you know, right. they didn't have a videotape, they just had a slide. But I think when it was exposed within 48 hours of the big presentation in Mexico City, I think the whole idea of his, his documentary fell apart because it was exposed by UFO researchers for what it, what it was. And I think the, I think Don and Tom got carried away in their own belief structure, wanting to accept this thing as uh, the smoking gun for, um, for it. And uh, both Tom and Don said that they hadn't got to see the whole slides and this sort of thing. Adam Dew said, well, yeah, we showed them the whole slides. And so I thought it was interesting to just put together, you know, a show with Don talking about his experiences with the slide and then bring Adam Dew on and his experiences on the slide and let them kind of, not battle it out on, on one program, but battle it out on the radio show at different times and let the listeners decide who was, uh, who was telling the truth or were both of them uh, kind of shading the truth or were both of them uh, not being completely honest or was one kind of a, the dupe of the other. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to do. And I, I wanted to, uh, to expose that. And then there was the show with Stephen Bassett. That that kind of blew both of us out of the water. <laughs> yeah, we had that. We had that uh, thing. Some uh, uh, somebody had come up with some new MJ12 documents, yeah. and uh, you know, I looked at them right away when they were sent to me, and I said, "Yeah, this, these are bogus, and here's why. Here's why." Yeah. And I think Bassett, when he first saw him, said, "Well, let's you know, let's talk about this. Let's think about this a little bit." And he was kind of, you know, it could be true. And so we scheduled to have him on the program, and I thought we we're going to have a nice fight over this. And uh, we started the program, and he's, I said, "Well, you know, we're going to talk about these documents." He says, "Yeah, they're fake." And I'm thinking, "Oh, great, we're done now. <laughs> we got two hours scheduled, and we're screwed here. Now, what are we going to talk about? I think we're going to have a nice debate on the air, and it just didn't go that way. We were, we were just kind of." Uh, uh, talking, talking to each other about yeah, this is why we think it's faked. <laughs> but you know what? It, it was very informative, and I think the fact that Michael, I'm sorry, uh, that uh, Stephen Bassett came out and admitted they were fake, added credibility to him, and it also added credibility to your show because people know on your show they're not going to get away with it because you do your homework. Your, you know, your investigative techniques certainly shine. And I thought it was a great show. I, uh, <laughs> but I had this whole thing planned out. <laughs> you know, I block these things out carefully so we're not left hanging. And he's like, he's cut my feet out from under me in the first two minutes because he's agreeing with me on it. And I, I, I think, you know, I can understand where, you know, this thing all happened so fast in a matter of days. I mean, like two or three days. And and uh, the first reaction by some people, Stan Friedman, for example, yep. uh, uh, was talking about, well, you know, this is an inter interesting documents and blah, blah, blah. I looked at those things as a former intelligence officer and having dealt with classified material in the military. I said, this thing is just absolutely bogus. It does not work this way. And um, Stephen Bassett, I think, was took a step back from this and wanted to 
get a chance to kind of review everything carefully. So he was very cautious in his approach to it right away. And I thought, you know, we're going to have this great give and take program on this. And it turned out by the time we got the program going, he was on the same page as I was. I, I fully expected both of you to start holding hands and singing Kumbaya. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another show that didn't go so good. You won, hands down, was Michael Horn. Like, he badgered you. He harassed you for months prior to the show. Oh, still does. No way. Yeah, I still hear uh, periodically from him. I just ignore him. But uh, I thought that, uh, you know, I didn't want to do the show. Uh, I had come out in a, uh, the blog. I did a blog statement. Um, when, when MUFON was doing their program on alternative science or alternative space exploration or whatever it was, and Horn was complaining because they hadn't invited him on the program the, to the symposium to speak uh, as a champion of Billy Meyer. And I, and I just put up a blog post. And I said, you know, if you're going you're gonna to let the membership decide on these sorts of things, why would you bring on these guys who were clearly making their stories up about fighting battles on Mars or being abducted <laughs> when they were 17 years old, spending 20 years in the military and then turning up in their bed 15 minutes after they left because of time travel or time manipulation or whatever it was. And I think if you're going to bring those guys out, why not Billy Meyer? And so Horn became my pal. And then uh, somebody had asked me something, but I said, well, you, you have to understand, I, you know, I'm just not a fan of Billy Meyer. I, I'm, I don't find the story. I, I tried to coach it in a kind of a non-violent um, uh, way, yeah. kind of a benign way, benign way, uh, about, about saying, I just, I don't accept the story is true. And, and Horn went nuts and started bombarding me with all this stuff. And he, he announced we were going to debate the Billy Meyer case. And I said, I agreed to no debate. You didn't ask me about it. I said, well, I've already scheduled it. I'm thinking, so I care. Uh, tough luck, guy. It's uh, not going to happen. And uh, as I went on, I thought, yeah, maybe we ought to talk about this because I could find so many holes in the Billy Meyer story and how the things were manipulated and changed. Uh, and my favorite one is the, the pictures that he would produce of other planets or, or all of this stuff. And, it, and you could trace them back to terrestrial events, pictures out of magazines. He would take a photograph of a magazine and manipulate so it wasn't quite as obvious and present it. Was this a picture of a dinosaur I took on this other planet? And when you catch him in something like that, he says, well, Billy Meyer didn't take that picture. Well, you presented it for like 10 years of Billy Meyer taking it. What happened? Well, the men in black, to make him look <laughs> bad, had stolen some of the pictures and replaced them with these fake ones. And uh, I, I just... Uh, Horn was... Um, Nasty, just yeah. nasty. He wouldn't, wouldn't listen. He would, uh, uh, you, you, uh, he, I've been called a coward twice in my life and once of them by horn because I wouldn't debate him on the Billy Meyer case. I could see real, no, no real point in it, yeah. but um, I finally said, yeah, come on the program. We'll talk about this sort of thing. And I, I thought I'd done a pretty good job of showing where the problems were and horn would dodge questions or ch try to change the direction of the topic when he didn't have a good solid answer so I, I was it was kind of a fun show to do i was i kind of enjoyed that yeah well you know uh, the billy meyer case has as many holes in it as a piece of swiss cheese has maybe there's a uh, you know there's more than just a coincidence there well, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I just realized Swiss cheese, of course. Uh, Billy Meyer is uh, rabidly anti-American. If you, if you look at his 
his stuff. He's rapidly anti-American, um, and and uh, you know that kind of turns me off. I uh, I'm kind of uh, pro-American myself. I'm pro-Canadian too, by the way, just so you know. Yeah, well, the offer still goes, Kevin. Anytime you want to come up to Canada, I'll sponsor you. <laughs> I will, and bring bring some money when I come. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! Our Canadian government gives people money. I don't think they'd be giving me any. Well, just just wear a, just wear a turban and a red dot, and you'll get in no problem. I was going to say I'll tell them I'm a uh, refugee from Syria, and they they can sponsor me that way. Oh, that'll but, work. That'll... Uh, yeah, um, the Billy Meyer stuff. Yeah. Um, I think if you look at it again, dispassionately, if you look at it from a logical point of view, you can see the holes in it, and you can mm -hmm. see where they've changed his predictions after the event didn't take place or he got it sort of right, they would go back and rewrite stuff so it looked like he did. The one that really cracked me up was this letter that he supposedly wrote in 1950, 1951, and he sent it to 3,000 world leaders. And I'm thinking, how did he pay for all of this? Because it's a two-page letter, 3,000 le uh, world leaders. There's you know, a um, good ream of newspaper, uh, paper used up and envelopes and postage and all of this stuff. And... Uh, but all the all the copies disappeared until 2005, and one of his Palladian friends had a copy of it, and so they published it again with all these bar marvelous predictions. But you could not date it beyond 2005, although the document says you know 1951 on it. Um, the earliest you could find any uh, record of it, any independent record, was like 2005. So you know, in that sure. case, I could predict stuff accurately as well. Well, I bet you can even predict that in about 20 seconds, we've got to go for a commercial break. That's why I wrapped this story uh, up. My God, you're good. Stand by, old friend. <laughs> ExoNation, Kevin Randall is our guest. His blog spot is uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. All of Kevin's books that he uh, has for sale are listed on his site. You can also go to any of the online bookstores. They're all there. And... Um, Again, if you'd like to listen to any of the past shows of Kevin when he did the A Different Perspective here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, it's available on iTunes. You can go to Speaker. You can go to uh, Blueberry. Any of the online um, sources as well have all his shows there. All you have to do is Google or put his name into a search engine, and le voila, they're all there. And uh, we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simo TV. Simo TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like X Zone, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. 
Tomorrow's TV Today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades, there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Kevin Randall's my guest, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Kevin, great having you back on the show. It's always a pleasure speaking to you, my friend. I have to ask you something, and I don't think I've asked you this before. You were talking about, uh, you know, the uh, was I don't know if it was the Roswell case or if it was uh, with um, Michael Horn. You mentioned the men in black. Uh, who, did they really exist, or is this all part of the... the um, the hype that goes along with a lot of these UFO reports. I personally think it's hype. I first heard of the men in black back in the 1960s, mm-hmm. which I hate to mention because that certainly dates me, but I think it was John Keel who kind of introduced the idea of the men in black. No, it was uh, auto binder. I'm sorry, auto binder and uh, more no, um, guy named Bender. And his first name escapes me with them. They, they kind of came up with this men in black idea. Keel kind of, uh, expounded on it in the 1960s. And I eventually sent Keel a letter to ask him about the men in black. And he said it was a phenomenon that was reflective, which meant the more attention you paid to it, the more activity that seemed to be coming at you. But I don't think Keel really believed that the men in black existed in the way they did, or the way it had been portrayed. And sometimes um, I think there were people 
in the United States, especially in the 1960s, who were pretending to be Air Force officers and going out to investigate UFO sightings. And that kind of generated some of the men in black stuff. I know Rex Heflin, who took the photographs in El Toro, California in 1964, I think it was, claimed that two guys from the Air Force said they were from NORAD, came and stole his negatives from him, you know, borrowed them supposedly. And he never got them back, and eventually they showed up in his mailbox. But I think it's, I think it's that kind of thing. I know uh, Nick Redfern did a book on it, and I looked at that book. At, it's just a lot of anecdotal testimony, and I think it's a lot of um, uh, people being kind of frightened. It, it, it sort of uh, is like the black helicopters, and my friend Rust Estes, who passed away a number of years ago, had been talking to a woman who claimed there were black helicopters flying around her house all the time, and she had the she had the pictures to prove it. And he looked at the pictures and he realized, well, yeah, uh, it's because of the lighting they look black. They're up in the sky. You're taking pictures with them, you know, flying into the sun. Of course they look black. You, and and so it, it that kind of thing. You know, people think they're being followed by the men in black. People think they're being visited by the men in black, but I don't think there's really much to it. Uh, and I'm sure my friend Nick Ridfern will call me on the phone and say, why would you say that? <laughs> well, uh, any more books in the making? Well, the last one I did, and, and it, it was an outgrowth of, of uh, the program, was the book on Socorro mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing. I've um, been fooling around with one called the uh, Moondust Conspiracy um, because everybody thought Project Moondust, which had a UFO component. This was a... a multi-governmental uh, project, including the State Department, things like that, to recover returning space debris of foreign manufacturer unknown origin, and unknown origin, of course, is UFOs. And by looking at that stuff, we, I mean, we've got documents, Moondust documents that says UFO on it, so it's that way. I found four Moondust documents in the Project Blue Book file, so clearly it had a UFO component. So I've been doing something with that because people thought that there was a... Um, that, that Moondust began in 1953, but I found a document that suggested it began in 1957, right after Sputnik was launched, which makes sense at the time. And in going through these documents, I found something called Project Horsefly, which was a um, another attempt to put teams in the field to investigate UFOs. So you, you look at the history of UFOs, you've got all this activity where they're trying to put investigative teams in the field under various names and various projects. I haven't found out much about Forcefly, but it's sort of akin to, to Munda. So I've been looking, I've been working on something like that to kind of bring all of this stuff together to show all the avenues of what the government has been doing in the investigation. And of course, the thing with Tom DeLong and his organization now fits into all of that sort of thing, because here was another governmental investigation of UFOs. Um, that uh, was held in secret. So there's that kind of stuff going on. I'm trying to put all of that history together and not progressing very fast on it. Well, didn't you have Tom on your show? Tom DeLong? Yeah. No, no. This all happened after after we had uh, we had stopped doing the show in November. Okay. So so can you uh, can you just fill our listeners in who may not know what the Tom DeLong case is? Well, uh, according to DeLong has created a UFO organization to investigate UFOs, and he's got some high-level people on it. And one of the things that happened is uh, Robert Bigelow, who is a billionaire from Las Vegas, had, uh, I guess, talked to Harry Reid, who was the senator from Nevada, and they convinced the Pentagon to do some kind of a black UFO investigation type thing that 
ended three or four years ago. And DeLong, who has a, who is by the was a Blink-182? Was he with Blink-182? I think so. Uh, he was, you know, a rock star and he has an interest in UFOs and he's now um, involved in this investigation of UFOs and he's got some high level people in it. One of the things they did was release a, a, a series of videos of a supposed intercept of a UFO by Navy pilots uh, right. a number of years ago, which is kind of interesting. But it, uh, you know, a, a lot of us are looking at it kind of askance because we've seen these sorts of things come and go in the past as well. But this is the this is kind of the latest UFO thing, and there's a lot of discussion. There's a there's some brief stuff about it on my blog when it first came out, and some of the things that that, that went on. So you know, people can get spun up to speed there. Um, there's a search engine on the blog, just type Tom DeLong in, and it'll bring up all the articles that mention him, and you can take a look at uh, the whole history of this thing and some of the some of the things that he said and some of the things he's done and what some of his projects are that, to investigate UFOs, but it's supposed to be a multimedia presentation, a pre multimedia corporation where they do UFO investigations, but they publish fiction about UFOs and they, uh, I think are going to be doing documentaries. So there's a the whole conglomerate of things like that. And it's, I think it's just one more uh, example of someone thinking that they can make some money off UFOs and, Looking back at the alien autopsy, where they probably made a couple of million dollars a piece on that thing, uh, if you know what you're doing, you can make a lot of money in UFOs. Unfortunately, I'm not among those people. See, honesty does not pay, my friend. <laughs> I know, I know. I, if I would embrace everything, I could get invited to all the conferences and everything and say, yes. In fact, wasn't I accused of being on Mars and part of the... Uh, we didn't go to Iraq. We went to Mars. That's right. To, to fight the aliens. That's right. You had some woman on the program that talked about that. Yeah. And uh, let me see. Um, then when you're talking to Len Caston about Planet Serpo, 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 Planet Serpo, you know, where. Yes. Oh, you know, and, and even another wingnut Canadian, and I'm talking about the honorable <laughs> um, Paul Hellyer. Here's a guy who was the, you know, the Minister of Defense for Canada. And I asked him point blank, as Minister of Defense, did you at any time hear of any UFOs over Canadian airspace? Or did you see any reports of UFOs in, over Canadian airspace? And do you believe in UFOs? Well, to the first two questions, he said unequivocally, no. But when it came to UFOs and his belief, it all started after he retired from politics and read a book on Roswell. That's... Well, I hope it wasn't mine. No, no, no. Uh, oh, thank God. I would, I would hate to be responsible the, for that. The day after Roswell. Oh, my God. It's even worse than I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and, and, and because he had a position of importance in the government, that's the one thing to do. You know, I... I Mentioned that I was a, I retired as a lieutenant colonel, but that kind of gives you instant credibility. Well, gee whiz, you know, you were a high-ranking officer in the military. You must know something important, and it's not necessarily true. I personally, while I was in the Air Force and in the Army, asked questions about this sort of stuff to see what I could learn. And, of right. course, you know, I had a top-secret clearance, uh, uh, the, um, an SEI clearance. And um, I, so I could I could learn stuff, but of course people weren't sharing what they might have known with me. But we I never really came across anything in the military that that suggested uh, 
UFO involvement or UFO encounters or anything like that, although I kind of kept my eyes open. Sure. But I've always, I've always said what I ought to do is put on my uniform, go have my picture taken outside of the um, Foreign Technology Building at Wright-Patterson. It says, yeah, now that I'm uh, out of the military, I can tell you about the little bodies inside that I've, I've seen uh, myself many, many times. <laughs> and, of course, you'd be the next guest speaker at the MUFON uh, Symposium. I would think so, yes. Although, although uh, Jan Arzan has been very, very nice to me um, uh, in the in the last few months, so you know I have to I have to say that Mufon has been very nice to me. Well, that, that's because uh, last time he was on, you were not a talk show host; you were more of a proctologist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> digging deep for the truth, uh, that sort of thing. Hey, listen, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, Kevin, and where they can buy your books. Well, as you've been so kind to point out repeatedly, uh, the blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Go to Amazon, look for books. You can find the ones that are available uh, just as uh, hard copy books, but you can find an awful lot in the Kindle store. Uh, the books are available through the Kindle store and that sort of thing. Uh, the books are available through um, uh, regular bricks and mortar bookstores. Uh, the the well, the, I was going to say the Roswell book, uh, Roswell in the Twenty First Century, and and uh, Encounter in the Desert. They're both they're both um, available on the e-readers, but they're also available as hard copy books. So they you know if you go to Amazon, you can find them as well. Kevin, as always, great time talking to you, my friend. The very best to your family, and I look forward to the next time you and I meet back here at the Exxon Broadcast Network when, once again, you produce one of your uh, great shows. I'll uh, be looking forward to it myself. Take care of yourself, Kevin, and congratulations, and thank you for all the great work that you do. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share some of that with, uh, with a lot and lot of, lot of people around the world. Okay, Kevin Randall has been my special guest www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Now, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And from everyone here at the X-Zone Broadcast Network and all our listeners, viewers, and readers, to Sherry Steiger and her family, our deepest condolences on the passing of Brad, a great man, a great friend, but he's going to be up there watching us, and the truth will be out there. So don't be surprised. We'll be back. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, 
success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.